Lights, camera, action. When a script is written that is so bad, no one will film it. These brave podcasters will bring it to life just so they can mock it. This is Table Reads. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Table Reads with Sean McBee, Jeff Lewis, and Joshua Baker. Hey guys, welcome to Table Reads Quarantine Edition. Quarantine. I'm Sean. You got uh, Jeff and Josh over there. Um, we are in various undisclosed locations, hiding from the coronavirus. But we are still here for you because providing you with entertainment is the only thing that gives our lives meaning. Yes. I agree to that. I'd be a lot more into uh, this Corona thing um, if it was an actual beer. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, you would think coronavirus would at least have the decency to get you drunk. Right? But not so mean, much. Drunk and death. This makes you sad. You treat it with a little <laughs> salt and a lime. All you get is the downer part. There's none of the party. Yeah. No party, bro. <laughs> It's just, it's all hangover and not even Corona hangover, but like real fucked up tequila and bourbon in one night hangover. That's, uh, that's still Corona hangover. <laughs> <laughs> if you let the motherfuckers sit in the fridge, they start smelling like weed. That's when you drink it. <laughs> <laughs> you like that skunk Rona. Yeah. Oh my God. So, uh, we're back with part two of Watchmen this week and, um, J- uh, John Smith is not joining us for this episode, um, and I'll tell you why. Because I didn't want to have to try to deal with technology, technoing a third person into this whole setup. Uh, just these two was hard enough. It's been a lot of work. <laughs> just I almost got, I almost got furloughed from the podcast. <laughs> It was John Smith did. Oh, fuck. <laughs> He'll be back. I want him back. Um, yeah. but He'll be back when we make when we get a few more patrons, guys. Come yeah, on. You, you got to yeah. buy John Smith back. <laughs> get on that Patreon. <laughs> Premium subscribers get John Smith directly in their inbox. <laughs> John Smith's don't come cheap. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of them, but they're still in high demand. You have to make you have to make John Smith his a separate audio track and file that only is uploaded in the Patreon <laughs> version. <laughs> an, an alternate so version of the whole shit. podcast. Oh fuck! <laughs> All right, so who's ready to find out where we've been? Me. Oh, good. Previously on Table Reads. <laughs> So in part one of Watchmen, we were treated to a look at a past mission of the superhero team, The Watchmen, a team never given that actual name in the comics, and a mission that, apart from not making a lot of sense, we absolutely did not need to see. Uh, Fast forwarding a bunch of years from that, we got to live through the basic beginnings of the comics. There's a bloody crime scene, Rorschach investigates, he discovers that the victim was the vigilante known as the Comedian. And then he eats beans and tells Dan Dreberg, formerly Night Owl, that someone is probably after the old costumed heroes. When we left off, Dan was reaching for the phone to make a call. Fade in. 
And if you're following along at home, we are on scene 51. Interior, office suite, downtown Manhattan, night. A great shadowy jungle cat pads across acres of carpet. The cat is far from its natural habitat. In back of it is a glass and chrome desk outfitted with a computer terminal. And at the terminal is Adrian Veidt, the brains behind the Watchmen. Although he's Dryberg's age, his face is serene and unlined by worry. Blonde and pale, he looks 30. When he's 60, he'll look 40. Veidt, millionaire industrialist and holder of over 40 basic patents, is also something of an Egyptologist, and the decor of his office reflects it. Ancient vases, sarcophagi, busts of Anubis, and the like. He keys a string of figures into the computer. The phone rings. Am I Veet? Yes, you are. You were yes. doing your best Jeremy Irons impersonation. <clears throat> Veet here. Intercut Dryberg and Veet. Adrian? Listen, it's Dryberg. I just had a visit from Rorschach. I had to call you before he... Daniel, slow down. What's this about Rorschach? The comedian. He's dead. Murdered. That's all I know. My God. Murdered? What's this have to do with Rorschach? It's... He's got some kind of conspiracy theory. He thinks someone's... I don't know. Stalking us. Us. You mean the Watchmen. God, every time they say the name of the team as the Watchmen, I get real mad. It's the us, Crime the Watchmen. <laughs> Crime Busters would have been better. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the Big Cat purrs. It's a mutant lynx, genetically tailored, with red fur and long, tufted antenna-like ears. Veet tosses the lynx a chunk of raw meat from a platter on his desk while he ponders Dryberg's words. Daniel, Rorschach is insane. I know, I know. It's just... He's back on the street. He smells blood. You know how he is. He goes on these binges, kills a couple thugs, then he's satisfied. It blows over. He's bound to get caught. I don't want my name coming out. Not at this late date. If he comes here... I'll handle him. Remember, I've always protected you. Haven't I? Do you need money? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a dick thing to say, weirdly. Listen, son. (laughs) I was was imagining Richard Gere talking to Julia Roberts the later years, like in Pretty Woman. (laughs) Would would you like to go play catch? (laughs) No, no, I just wanted you to... You did the right thing, Daniel. Let's stay in touch, okay? Good night. Good night. Veet leans back in his chair, reaches for a gold case, and extracts a cigarette. It's matchless. You ignite it by striking... Okay, it says you <laughs> you ignite it by striking the tip of the cigarette against the edge of the case. <laughs> he's, he, I think he's explaining it. He's but explaining like, what's in the book, right? Well, well, he's explaining it like he would talk it. Like he's like, yeah, he, and he lights up a cigarette. It, it's matchless. You, you ignite it, guy. Like striking the tip of the cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> he lights he, up. He shouldn't have said a cigarette. 
He should have said a cigarette-like device. Hey. Yeah. Also, it kind of looks like a crack pipe. Yeah. They lo- it looks like it looks like you're about to freebase some meth rocks, dude. Like, what do I really not do? know they, about this? It's like a long this. stick with a bulb toward the end, but yeah. not all the way at the end. Just toward oh. the end. Yeah, so they're all all of them smoke the same thing in the book. Yeah. <laughs> you need money, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, Molly, you look like a Molly guy. <laughs> He's a drug dealer. <laughs> Veet Industries. <laughs> Nostalgia. He, light, he lights up and takes a long, slow drag. Cut to exterior military installation. Night. Barbed wire. Armed guards everywhere. A vehicle waits at the checkpoint. The guards wave it through, and a huge cast-iron gate rolls into place behind it. On the gate is a small, tasteful sign which reads, Rockefeller Military Research Center. Interior, military installation, night. Adrian Veet walks down a long, greenish corridor flanked by armed escort troops. At the end of the hallway is a foot-thick metal door with a keypad off to one side. One of the troops punches in a six-digit access code, and the door slides back to reveal another door. Ooh. This Gasp. Is- <laughs> With a seven-digit code. <laughs> <laughs> this is the real door. <laughs> what a this twist. one has a three-digit code. <gasps> it's, it's seven feet thick. <laughs> uh... Another door. This one outfitted with a simple doorbell. (laughs) (laughs) You ran out of cool ideas. (laughs) Oh, I I know where they're going. The troops ring the bell, stand rigidly at attention, and wait to Veet's great amusement. The inner door slides open. Peering out is an attractive, big-boned woman in her mid-30s. So what does that mean, big boned? What is a big boned woman? She was. I'm looking it up. I'm big boned woman. Lori Jepesic, aka the Silk Spectre. Is that how you say her name? (laughs) If I know, man, I would like to buy a vowel. Is what I would like to do. Jepesic. I I was. I I didn't even really pronounce it when I was reading the comic. Why the fuck (laughs) do you think she went by Lori Jupiter? Yeah, but she didn't like that. She didn't like (laughs) Jupiter. Yeah, but maybe and this then is why she changed it to Blake. To Blake. Anything yeah. but Jupeshik. Just, just, it looks like somebody lost in Scrabble and then fought to make sure it was a real word. Oh, oh yeah, I'm challenging that shit. Triple word score on that, my ass. They're like, that's not a real word. He's like, that was my grandpa's name. Fuck you. So big, big boned women. Uh, if you Google that, it's it's kind of a disappointment. Is that what BBW stands for? No, no that means big, beautiful woman. And that occurs on a spectrum too, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to mute my mic and I'm going to look up BBW. <laughs> 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 Alright, sorry. Who wants to be Lori? <clears throat> I'll be Lori. Y'all are... Adrian. Lori's upstairs. I'm a big bone woman. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit, I better find my script. There it is. <laughs> He's just, <laughs> He's just going down that BBW rabbit hole. <laughs> did you did you did you say Adrian already? <clears throat> yeah, I keep Adrian. Laurie, good to see you. She gives him a warm hug. Or she the escort troops march back down the hall in a perfect 
lockstep as the giant metal doors ease shut behind them. Lori escorts Fight into a huge laboratory space. Great oversized machines, blinking computer terminals, blue dick, advanced scientific... Oh, wait, sorry. (laughs) Advanced scientific paraphernalia of every description. Nice. Who's your decorator? Oh, wait, sorry, wrong one. That was me, dog. You're stepping Uh, on my lines, bro. (laughs) Wow. What the fuck? (laughs) You know, this is my contract. (laughs) You're fired, Jeff. Oh, I'm out. Nice. Who's your decorator? Edward Teller? Don't rub it in. I live here. And how's life with the walking H-bomb? He's in by the super accelerator. Let me take your coat. She takes his coat and vanishes into the living quarters. Veet wanders through the lab with an envious eye. Suddenly, he stops. A smile crosses his face as he gazes up at the ceiling. Hi, John. Uh, Okay, so... I think, I don't remember who Dr. Manhattan was before, but here's the thing. Austria. I cannot give you guys echoes. Right. So you be, you be Manhattan. Yeah, just, you just be Just Manhattan. for this episode, or while we're in quarantine, however many episodes that is. Dude, they canceled April, bro. <laughs> like. Hello, Adrian. Cool. Dr. Manhattan. John Osterman to his friends is a big guy under any circumstances but at the moment he's downright gargantuan 40 feet tall bright blue and buck naked he's calmly adjust can you imagine that view oh my god That's yeah. like <laughs> gooch and scroot at least he doesn't have any hair sounds great <laughs> <laughs> we observe my life. glorious blue taint Adrian <laughs> Wink, Oops, wink. I dropped a piece. Better <laughs> bend down to get it. How's being 40 feet tall work for him? Like, the screws aren't 40 feet tall. Like, the screws are normal little bitty screws. So, like, his his hands are at I least don't think he doesn't have to touch, touch them. them. Yeah, he just looks at them. He, he's just uh, tall because he wants to look at the stuff that's up without having to use a ladder. So he I mean, dropped it. He on purpose. wants to force people to look at his blue taint. It's a power <laughs> move. Oh, like he before Adrian got there, dude was like five ten. Fully he's clothed. like, oh, oh, we have guests. Oh, and it's that guy. Oh, watch <laughs> this shit. <laughs> Jeremy Irons is here. <laughs> Jeremy Irons is here to see my taint. He Better thinks he's such hot though. shit. I'll make him look at my taint while he talks to me and see banging, how that cuts him down to size. 13-year-old girls. It's a good it's a funny bit knowing that he's basically God and he's like still jealous and feels like <laughs> he has to like big dick around. <laughs> Literally. I make my dick huger than every person on the planet. I love that he's still just got these like frat boy mentality even though he can do anything. <laughs> uh He's like he's in like ten different timelines, and he's like, "I'm banging ten women right now." (laughs) (laughs) I bet you never banged ten women in your life. Three years from now, you're banging your mom and your daughter (laughs) and your grandmother all right now, all when they were sixteen years old. You're in a crib in the next room, and each of them is crying every time. I'm your stepdad now. Go get me a beer, bitch. 
I am I am finger cuffing your mother at this moment while we speak. But please wow, go on. What is... <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love the idea that the lore for table reads is that Dr. Manhattan's a fucking Chad. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> The most like, powerful creature in the universe. He's a fucking Chad. He just like, uses his powers to fuck your mom. Yo, what up? I'm Bryce Manhattan. <laughs> he named him Watchman. He named him Watchman because that's what he likes to do. Oh, the Watchman. Watch me. Watchman. <laughs> 40 feet tall, bright blue and buck naked. He's calmly adjusting a calibration atop his particle accelerator. I think I'm about to detect a Gluino. In case you were wondering, this blue-skinned Superman can do just about anything. He can manipulate matter effortlessly. The physical universe is his plaything. When it comes to the laws of time and space, Dr. Manhattan is a chronic offender. Any government would be glad to have him. Super symmetrical theory, hmm? Say... I understand old Schwartzman caught a decaying proton in that German mineshaft. Lori, who's just reappeared, shakes her head and groans. <sighs> Please, you guys, no shop talk. John, you're being rude. Why don't you shrivel down and join us? Dr. Manhattan shrugs and shrinks down to a somewhat more manageable six foot five. A pair... <laughs> Just gotta have that extra little bit. Still, still more than he normally was. She's like, John, you, you were at least six inches shorter. And you know if if Pendulette was in that room, motherfucker would be six seven. <laughs> Dr. Manhattan shrugs and shrinks down to a somewhat somewhat more manageable six foot five. A pair of black trunks materializes around his waist, preserving his modesty. Ooh. Because if it's not man-sized, why bother cover, Why bother having it out, right? You could just not have it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, like, he could just make himself a Ken doll. Like, <laughs> he could also just be made of dicks. <laughs> he can do anything. Why would you even be like, better put on some black underwear? Yeah, like put on all your clothes. Like, okay, <laughs> we're, in, we're in quarantine. I'm not going out in public, so I'm wearing sweatpants today. But I'm not here podcasting with you guys in my fucking underwear. Though I could. Yeah, that'd be weird. <laughs> it would. But what I'm saying is the guy <laughs> decides to be modest and he puts on underwear like a speedo. That's it's just weird. It's a weird shaped it's weird in the in the book. It's a very funny shaped speedo too. Yeah, it's like a V shape. It like comes like up high way too high. Tail. It's like above his hips, like <laughs> like a thong yeah it's yeah. very it's very 80s and yeah. then uh and <laughs> then Korea. senator keen jr has it in uh the watchman tv show it's like the same one <gasps> that's right yeah that's right yeah. Spoiler. that was a nice touch you know it's not a spoiler unless you know why he has them <laughs> that that truly is a mystery yeah. <laughs> First episode, he's like, why would a grown man wear these? And then eight episodes later, we figure it out. <laughs> he just has a fetish. Racism. <laughs> Racism is his fetish. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> hurt my feelings again. <laughs> Uh, 
six foot five, uh, <laughs> preserving his modesty. Satisfied, Lori turns to Vite. Lori. Oh, oh, sorry. Good to see you, Adrian. What's the, what's the occasion? He tosses a casual glance around the lab. A number of video surveillance cameras are mounted on the walls. Are we being monitored? Dr. Manhattan looks... No, the government just lets the human H-bomb do what he wants without watching him at all. Everything before the first door, but not after the bell door. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dr. Manhattan looks at each of the cameras in turn. One by one, the little red on light winks out. The bearer of bad news. We've lost a colleague. The comedian is dead. Blake? Dead? Yes, I heard this morning. Washington's asked me to attend the funeral as a matter of protocol. Lori shoots an irritated look at Dr. Manhattan. This is the first she's heard about it. Rorschach's on the case. He's got Dryberg in a lather. He seems to think that someone is stalking the Watchman. Oh, the CTU suspects a Libyan hit squad. What's your theory? Life and death are unquantifiable abstracts. They don't concern me. Ugh. VP. Ah! <laughs> I was waiting One for button. that. I'm so happy. <laughs> Mine is the one button I can't see. <laughs> oh, it's rough. So I accidentally turned on Mike 2's echo. Not helpful at all. Veet peeks at Lori. Cocks an eyebrow. Same old John. But Lori is considerably less amused. Lori. I could use a drink. How about you, Adrian? Veet nods yes. Dr. Manhattan, meanwhile, has moved off to another part of the lab. He stands before a vast bank of machinery, and as we watch, a panel detaches itself from the front of the console and floats off to one side. I just want to say, I'm sorry for being delayed on the reading. Um, it's not formatted correctly, so a lot of the times I don't know when you're talking and like what's describing something and what's dialogue. Yeah, it is hard to read, yeah, it, but the- I have it blown up humongous. <laughs> the dialogue is supposed to be centered, and for those of you on our YouTube feed, you can see exactly what it is we're reading and how badly formatted it is, and also how parts of it are being cut off by our frame. Sorry. Deal with it. Oh, shit. <laughs> Too late now. I uh, I set it up using a different script as my... Um, test piece and that was dumb (laughs) a module of circuit boards chips and pin connectors slides out of the hole individual components detach themselves and hang in midair Dr. Manhattan hasn't lifted a finger he's dismantling and reassembling his equipment through sheer force of mind see Jeff yeah but he's supposed to be fucking right now and I don't like where any of this is She's supposed to be licking his fingers and saying it tastes like batteries. I don't like any of this shit. Where's the kink? He was wearing weird underwear. Whatever. 
Veet has seen these parlor tricks before. He ambles up and resumes the conversation without missing a beat. I guess you'll be dismantling Russian tanks soon. Do you mean Afghanistan? It won't require my attention. What I'm doing here is far more interesting. The module, now fully reconstructed, slides back into place. The cover panel rises off the floor, settles over the hatch, and screws itself shut. Well, I wanted to bring you the news about Blake, but as usual, I can't tell you anything you don't already know. Goodbye, John. Dr. Manhattan nods, just barely. Veet heads for the door, finds his coat where Lori put it. He's just about to leave when she arrives with two stiff drinks in hand. Adrian, d- don't leave so soon. I-, I, I'll take a rain check, Lori. Please. There's a note of desperation in her voice. Veet glances over his shoulder at Dr. Manhattan, who's 40 feet tall again, playing with his super accelerator. He's a little farther gone every time. Stay, Adrian. I just... Every once in a while, I need to talk to someone human. He doesn't think like we do. He doesn't even feel what we feel. I mean, he even scares the research team. Sorry, my, uh... My computer's acting weird. While Josh is waiting for that... Oh, uh, here uh, I am. I'm in. I'm ready. I'm ready. Shut up! Whoa! Lori. <laughs> <laughs> He's the most powerful man who's ever lived. He's changed the world. I, I, I know. I, I shouldn't be saying this. He's happy. He's content. He's doing his work. What about you? I suppose I'm serving my purpose, aren't I? I'll ring for the guards. She goes to the steel door, hits a buzzer. Veed watches her, concerned. She coughs violently, and he reaches into his vest's pocket for a cigarette case. Nasty cough. Try one of mine. Darling, you need to get out of the house. Why don't you give Daniel a call? I'm sure they'd be glad to hear from you. That's the opposite of what she needs to do right now. (laughs) Maybe I'll do that. I'm sorry about Blake. He pats her on the shoulder. The door slides open and the troops appear to escort feet back down the hallway. Lori takes a long pull on her drink and gazes up at the superhuman lover, at her superhuman lover. He tinkers with his equipment, then, satisfied, he turns and walks through a solid brick wall, as if it weren't there. Cut to exterior, Happy Harry's, establishing, night. A decrepit waterfront bar in a particularly rough neighborhood, popular with the denizens of the underworld, accessible by a narrow stairway which dips well below street level. Interior, Happy Harry's, night. The usual crowd, living it up. Hookers line the bar. Drug dealers hover at the entrance to the... Do they have assigned seating? What's... (laughs) (laughs) All right, bad Tony sits there. Little little Jeff, he's got to go over there, you know. (laughs) He doesn't like it when you call him little. It's like a department store, but instead of like... Housewares and clothing, you have hookers and drug dealers. Third floor, assorted goons and thugs. <laughs> assorted goons and thugs stand clustered at the pool table, watching a topless dancer bump and grind. 
wait a second. Was this movie actually going to be a rated R 1990 superhero movie? Because that would be fucking bold. I think it's the they're doing the old Hollywood of two tits to one dick ratio. Oh, yeah. So. Okay, but what does the ratio... How is the ratio affected if the dick is eight feet long? <laughs> That's why you will be seeing a lot more topless dancers. A man-sized <laughs> dick. A man-sized dick. I have become a dick. His you are already a dick, Manhattan. <laughs> uh, I lost it. Uh, topless dancer bump and grind topless dancer good thing they capitalized that so I could find it easily at least she should get a should get a uh, credit Frank 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 Miller got a credit for writing this yeah I thought we were reading another (laughs) Frank Miller when he started interior happy Harry's night (laughs) (laughs) hookers 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 you know at least least when Alan Moore uh has a bunch of writes a bunch of uh, naked women he usually has a, a woman illustrate the book <laughs> that's true <I> guess. <laughs> that's a fact like lost girls he's like right. I'm, I'm gonna write a bunch of girls like doing sexy stuff and you know uh, masturbating and things but I'm gonna get a woman to draw it so it'll be okay that makes which, it now, okay which is not his now, accent at all because he is British but whatever now now draw it and I'm gonna stand behind this bush <laughs> <laughs> I went to look through this hedge and watch you draw it I'm gonna draw it what color are her nipples now yes. prick your finger and color it with your blood <laughs> now now just make her a bit more sad she is English after all it's sadder Sadder, 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 sadder. She's eating beans. (laughs) Cold beans. (laughs) Straight from the con. Oh, yes. (laughs) This evolved into something. (laughs) Our watchman is better. (laughs) That's not even watchman. That's just Alan Moore writing watchman. <laughs> see that's see that's that's actually the movie that we want to watch is oh. Alan Moore descending into madness writing this fucking story right now well, we wouldn't even hold on that. though it was, it was hypothetical Frank Miller jerking off in a bush to a <laughs> chick drawing nude chicks masturbating with their feet we've been in quarantine a long time Jeff <laughs> now you're talking about Alan Moore's descent into madness but after we recorded the last episode I sent you guys page Ooh. one oh you did of his yeah. watchman script from the just comics. one big brick of- <laughs> jesus <laughs> christ it was like a fucking end user agreement for fucking <laughs> ula dude. for alan moore <laughs> it's really fucking insane right i i didn't like it at all i think it was the first panel was it the first panel yeah I don't remember. I showed it to the lady at the Wendy's drive-thru. She didn't like it either. <laughs> it was just a solid page of all caps, like non-formatted, no no line breaks, just stream of consciousness insanity to describe just that one panel of blood flowing into a, a sewage drain. Guys, fucking nuts, guys. 
I love that just this is the place that table reads takes. There's just just one paragraph about topless dancers, assorted goons, and drug dealers, and boy, we took it, and we took it to the peak, and then we brought it back to real. And I appreciate the, about, that about. Them. We we have a a nice dynamic, I think. <laughs> anyway, peak, peak um, right there. Topless dancer bumping grind. Suddenly, there's a terrible racket, and everyone turns. Over by the entrance, Rorschach is hard at work ripping a payphone off the wall. <laughs> Give me my quarterback, you piece of shit! I thought he was going to be beating the guy up. He just came in and attacked a payphone. I love oh, I it. Guess, I guess in but, the 80s it had been a dime. But he's hard at work, which means he's been doing it for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> he's been over there, he's just sweating. He's got Come like on, he's got like a second Rorschach pattern of sweat. <laughs> in, in, the, in the future, these will be mobile. That starts today. Once he has it on the floor, he gives it a couple of vicious licks with a crowbar. Then he strides casually over to the bar, where the proprietor, Happy Harry, is nervously polishing glasses. Harry. Rorschach? Bones out of order. Mind if I get yours? He reaches under the counter, sets a phone on the bar. Rorschach picks it up and flings it at a nearby table, (laughs) scattering (laughs) the patrons and yanking the cord cleanly out of the wall. Got another one. (laughs) He turns and faces the assembled multitudes. Uh, Almost in style. Yep. Edward Blake. Friend of mine fell through a window. I had help. Thought maybe you could fill me in. Enormous tufts sit riveted to their chairs, staring up in horror as Rorschach strolls past. You, Gideon, Warmonger, nothing? Wait. John. I'm getting. I'm guessing that he's pointing at people. So you. Doesn't know that guy's name. Gideon. That's the next guy. Whoremonger, that's the next guy. What? His name is Whoremonger? <laughs> You're Whoremonger. <clears throat> Johnny Gobbs, what's new at the schoolyard? Behind Rorschach's back, a shadowy figure is slinking furtively toward the exit. Rorschach pivots suddenly, grabs him by the collar, yanks him off his feet, and slams him into a wall. Nikki the Jap, in a hurry? You keeping secrets, Nikki? Nikki sits slumped against the wall, quaking with fear. Rorschach extends a hand to help him up. He reaches out hesitantly, and Rorschach grabs him by the wrist, pulling him off balance. He closes a gloved fist around Nikki's pinky finger, twists it back, and snaps it. Edward Blight, who killed him? No answer forthcoming. Nikki lets out a horrible moan as Rorschach grabs his index finger and repeats the process. Who killed Edward Blake? Nikki passes out. Rorschach releases his grip, lets Nikki sink to the floor, and reaches for his crowbar. He's standing poised to let fly at Nikki's ribs when a voice in the crowd shouts out. Jesus, he's in shock! The comedian! Who killed him? By now, Harry's pulled a sawed-off shotgun from underneath the bar. Without looking up, Rorschach spins and heaves the crowbar. It catches Harry in the jaw, pitching him back into a rack of glassware. The shotgun discharges two harmless blasts into the ceiling. 
Silence in the bar as the onlookers await Rorschach's next move. He looks at the bleeding Harry, shakes his head in disgust. So many vermin. So little time. He bends, pulls a top... Wait, what? He bends, pulls the top coat off Nikki's quivering frame and tosses it contemptuously at the nude dancer. Then he turns to go, pausing long enough to hiss at the crowd. Hiss! <laughs> go back to your heroin and your child pornography. I'll be around. Table Reads will return after this brief word from our sponsors. What's up, docs and docettes? Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes critic here, and if you like old cartoons and watching online reviewers dissect them, then you probably said the same thing I did about two years ago. Hey, what the fuck? Here, watch your language, you bud. Every Saturday morning, I do a brand new commentary of a Warner Brothers short. All throughout the month, I do video essays examining the history of these cartoons. Catch my videos on youtube.com slash ferriswheelhouse2, or just use the hashtag Looney Tunes critic. And now, here's Eric Bauza, the new voice of Bugs Bunny. You've been listening to the Looney Tunes critic. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lights. Camera. Action. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Now, back to Table Reads. Hey, it's us. We're back. What? And me. We hope you enjoyed those commercials. We sure did. They're our favorite. They're our favorite. So, what do you I like the think? commercials more than the show. I, just- I thought episode one was a little boring because at least half of it covered just the basic stuff in the uh, beginnings of the graphic novel. But I'm liking that we're getting some good Rorschach action here and some good taint action. Like, this is getting pretty good, I think. Okay, but uh, like, I know I made the sex joke earlier, but what do you think the advantage was of having Vite? have the talk about Edward Blake to Dr. Manhattan instead of Rorschach. Like instead of Rorschach coming in begging for help, it was just Vite being like, hey, just so you know, pa-pow, this happened. I'm out. Like, but like, what, why would, what, what's the necessity of changing? Was it not Ror? Was it not Vite in the comics? No, no, it was no. Rorschach. You don't, you, and you Rorschach don't, you don't, asking yeah, for help. You don't know it's Vite until near the end. No, I mean that went to, uh, no, it was Rorschach. No. Yeah. Huh. I don't know why they changed it. I guess that'll be left to be seen. 
Maybe he was just like, we gotta have Vite do something. Right, because I mean, give him even some in more the, screen time. Even the Happy Harry's made sense if he if Rorschach would have went to Manhattan for help and Manhattan, yeah. like, nah, I'm above all this shit. He's like, fine, I'll fucking beat it out of people. So yeah. he just goes on a rampage. Literally random people. Right. <laughs> no, what if that wasn't? What if they were terrified because that's none of their nicknames? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know any of them. He just make up names. <laughs> yeah, he's like, and he's like super racist. So he's like, damn, nigga. <laughs> and then we get out of Rorschach vision and we find out it's just a Denny's. <laughs> it's just a Denny's. He's like, were you Denny? <laughs> Grand Slam this. I'm tired of all these goons and thugs. Just, they're not. This is like old people. ladies and like truckers <laughs> and shit. <laughs> Fade in. That's my <laughs> He leaves the Denny's with, go back to your heroin and your child pornography. I'll be around. <laughs> that part was true. <laughs> <laughs> Interior, military installation, living quarters, pre-dawn. The bedroom which Lori shares with Dr. Manhattan at the Rockefeller Research Complex. It's not quite 6 a.m., still dark outside, and Lori is asleep. She tosses around under the covers, reaches over to where Dr. Manhattan should be, but his side of the bed is empty. John? A luminous blue hand enters frame, strokes her cheek gently. Lori closes her eyes and sighs. I'm here, Lori. Is it time? Do you have to leave for the funeral? Not yet. There's plenty of time. A second blue hand strokes her hair. Lori stretches luxuriantly. Dr. Manhattan kisses her softly on the throat. Mm, you feel so good. Do, do you have to go? The blue hand runs down the length of Lori's shoulder and arm toward her hip. She sighs dreamily. Would you like... Would you... <laughs> this doesn't work. Would you like me to stay? Mm-hmm. I could stay and go. And just how would you manage that? She leans up to kiss him. The second blue hand continues its downward progress, almost colliding with a third blue hand, which is massaging Lori's thigh. Third blue hand? Wait a minute. <laughs> That's in the direction. It is. <laughs> Lori's eyes go suddenly wide. She sits bolt upright in bed. Dr. Manhattan is stretched out beside her. He is also sitting at the foot of the bed. There seem to be two of him. Hey! Lori... Are you... Don't be upset. Why was it two separate pieces? Because it's the two different Dr. Manhattans. Oh, It says Dr. Shit. Manhattan 1 and Dr. Manhattan 2. Oh, no. It was just so shittily formatted. I thought it was, like, continued, but the one and two. Here's the one thing I never thought that I would be able to say about table reads. I had a threesome with Jeff. That's me. <laughs> My it favorite is eight foot cock. My favorite part was she didn't scream like a normal person. It's just a bunch of letter A's. Ah, uh, so that's why I was just like A. This unique menage a trois proves a bit much for Lori's fragile nerves. Fragile nerves. 
She's a fucking vigilante. She climbs angrily out of bed and reaches for a dressing gown. John, please, uh, don't enjoy these tricks. Just be one person again, please. The big blue twins stand up, spreading their hands in identical gestures of apology as Lori stalks past. Lori, I did it to please you. I thought you would find it erotic. All right, all right. It's just my nerves. I'm going stir-crazy. In this place, I... What? Stir-crazy? Tell us about it. Oh, Corona! (laughs) While fumbling in her purse for a cigarette, Lori happens to glance through a doorway into the lab outside. To her utter astonishment, she sees a third Dr. Manhattan out there, calmly running an experiment on one of his oversized toys. She marches angrily through the door. Interior, lab, a moment later, to confront Dr. Manhattan number three. You've been out here all along, haven't you? Running one of your stupid experiments. Yes, I thought I could finish up before I leave for Washington. So you sent your your proxies in there to... John, really? How could you do this? You seem to feel I've been neglecting you. Isn't that the case? I thought I'd solved the problem quite elegantly. That's all it is. It was just another problem you can... She doesn't see the other two Dr. Manhattans who have just entered the room behind her. They speak in perfect unison. How do I do this? Lori, please. Lori, Lori pivots, lets out a little squeal of shock. She turns back slowly, steadies herself on a lab table. John, just go to Washington, all right? And take them with you. I I could really use them a long time. (laughs) I wonder if he fucks himself when she's not around. You know I do it, Lori. (laughs) (laughs) They're like the human centipede. (laughs) Just asses to mouths. She comes home early one day, and there's just like eight dick-to-ass Dr. Manhattans (laughs) in a circle, and they're all 40 feet tall. Yeah, it's just huge eight-foot cocks jamming blue everywhere. It, it's not cheating if it's just me. I wonder I wonder if his jizz is blue. Hmm. I'm going to go with yes. Also radioactive. Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru, I was going to go into Tashi Station. Oh, blue milk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now you can't unsee it. Um, but yes, we, we do know that his, his semen is radioactive because, uh, I believe there is, um, a woman on TV in Watchmen who he used to date. That's like, I have cancer now. I'm dying because of that dude. And his jizz. It's apparent that quasi CGI superhero Dr. Manhattan's blue appendage serves no purpose other than to underscore his awesome masculinity. It will pass no urine or jizz, and it will never rise to attention. It's just there, an emblem of Dr. Manhattan's unearthly mightiness. Are you reading something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's reading the wiki that is dedicated to Dr. Manhattan's blue schlong. It's a blog from 2009 <laughs> called Dr. Watchman's Glowing Blue Penis the Review. <laughs> But they're also wrong because Lori's entire job with the governor government is fucking 
Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Her job is literally fuck that guy to keep him happy and we will pay you a salary for that. Lori Jepechnik is a prostitute. Essentially. This this is my favorite one from Vulture.com. Dr. Manhattan's giant blue wiener gets glowing reviews. <laughs> Sorry, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> All right. Um, Jizz. Uh, the fuck? <laughs> jizz. <laughs> oh, jizz. <clears throat> uh, she storms back into the living quarters, past Dr. Manhattan's one and two, who pop out of existence as soon as she passes. The original Dr. Manhattan cocks an eyebrow, sighs, and returns to his equipment. Fade through to interior rooftop restaurant night. A pricey joint in Midtown. Dryberg and Lori, well fed, are hard at work on their second bottle of wine. She looks amazingly beautiful in full makeup and low-cut evening gown but it's largely wasted on her preoccupied date. At the moment, she's filling him in on life with Dr. Manhattan. This is like the lowest rent version of this script. It is. No, none of that None of that transition made any sense. Like, at least in the movie and book, he was like, tell, tell you know, tell him I said hi. Like, yeah. and she's like, what? Tell Daniel I said hi. No, like, but see, cool. you, you don't get it. When he cocks that eyebrow... That's supposed to convey that. Like, they're what? just putting all the weight on the actor to get that across. Understood. <laughs> Sorry, <clears throat> I'm Lori. <clears throat> the government's really worried. He gets so flaky sometimes. I guess it's no picnic being the world's only superhuman. I have to keep him in line. She flexes her bicep and holds the pose, waiting for Dreberg to laugh. He doesn't. In fact, he barely even notices. His gaze has wandered off into a far corner of the room. Excuse me, uh, where exactly are you tonight? I'm Dryberg. Yeah, no, I'm Dryberg because I'm okay, the whitest. Cool. You are the whitest. I don't know. I look pretty white in the video. Sorry, it's this thing with Blake. I mean, you don't really think anyone's out to get us, do you? Dan, are you really that paranoid? Let's face it. Eddie Blake was no Mother Teresa. Psychotic pig. He had it coming, Mr. CTU. Now wait. We all had the same option as Blake. It was work for the government or do time. Fine. But the Civil Terrorism Unit? It's a fucking Gestapo. Dirty tricks, political assassinations. Now he's got Lori nervous. She scans the restaurant quickly then leans forward and speaks in hushed tones. Okay, okay, you made your choice. You went underground. Some of us made other choices. Yeah, that pig Blake gets buried at Arlington, full military honors, and I'm still in the psychophile with Rorschach. Lori looks at him a moment. She starts to chuckle. <laughs> What's so funny? Have I got food in my teeth? I'm just wondering what you would have said 10 years ago if you could see yourself right now. Well, here's to the comedian, because the fact is, he's dead, and we're not. Dreberg makes a face and smiles despite himself. Exterior rooftop outside restaurant, night. Dreberg and Lori have repaired to the romantic rooftop terrace. 
which overlooks the Manhattan skyline. They're holding big snifters of brandy, and they're both pretty well drunk. The pisser is, nobody even remembers all the good shit we did. I mean, we were heroes. Damn straight. Damn straight. We were heroes. Of course. We look like idiots in those bondage outfits. Well, that was Adrian's idea. I know he's the smartest man in the world and all that, but talk about publicity hounds. Hey, you remember that nut in the hockey mask with the asthma? What's his, What was his name? Batman. <laughs> oh, shit. Brought it back. <laughs> oh, yeah. The one that used to confess to everything, hoping we'd beat him up. That's the one. Whatever happened to him? He pulled it on Rorschach. Rorschach dropped him down an elevator shaft. Lori looks aghast for a second and a half. Then her hand goes to her mouth. And like Dryberg, she's giggling helplessly. (laughs) Camera pulls up and away, isolating them on the rooftop. And we hear a stentorian voice over scene. In the midst of life, we are in death. Cut to exterior Arlington National Cemetery. Day. An American flag lies in the coffin of Edward Blake. And so we condemn our brother Edward Blake unto God, who shall change our vile body that it may be like unto his glorious body. Tight on Dr. Manhattan, standing at a graveside amid a tight no of mourners. There's no weeping, no gnashing of teeth. Most of the attendees are bureaucrats or military men, obviously here for reasons of protocol. Nearby is a cadre of riflemen ready to send Blake off the traditional 21-gun salute. According to the mighty workings whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. A light rain begins to fall. Umbrellas open all around. Dr. Manhattan, of course, doesn't need one. The raindrops vanish miraculously before they strike him. Car horns sound in the distance, and he glances off at exterior another part of the cemetery that moment. Sentries stand at attention. They've blocked off part of the cemetery where the funeral is taking place, but the good doctor has been spotted nonetheless, and word of his presence is spreading like wildfire. Mourners and tourists are rushing in from every corner of the cemetery to get a look at the bright blue Superman. With all due respect for the dead, Arlington National is turning into a zoo. Gawkers are lined up, three or four deep. The sentries have their hands full, managing the crowd. A kid breaks free from his parents and sprints across the grave to join the excited throng. As he does, our attention settles on the Vietnam War Memorial. It's not the familiar stark black wall. It is, bizarrely, a chiseled marble representation of Dr. Manhattan. His eyes are turned skyward, and he's cradling a wounded American grunt in his massive arms, Pieta style. On the pedestal beneath it, a bronze plaque bears the inscription, In memory of the brave Americans who gave their lives to achieve victory in Vietnam. Below it are the names of the American dead. There are almost 400 of them. Exterior, military installation, night. The Rockefeller Military Research Center, Lori's home sweet home. 
Her car pulls up to the guard's booth and he waves her through. As soon as the chain link gate rolls back into place behind her, the guard picks up a phone and punches in a number. Exterior Research Center, night. Lori strides up a concrete walkway at the entrance to the complex, fumbling in her purse for a mag-striped access card. She inserts the card into a slot at the door. Nothing happens. She tries again. Still no luck. Just then, a long black car pulls up behind her, and a uniformed officer, Major Adamson, steps out. Major Adamson, I can't seem to get in the door. Lori, I'll have to ask you to come with me. Why? What's the problem? I love that Jeff's reading her as still drunk. Why not? <laughs> is she not still drunk? That. What? Is she not still drunk? She is. I just love that you remembered that she was drunk. Oh, and okay. So she's probably Sick. still drunk. All right, cool. <laughs> I, I can't tell you that. It is quite urgent. <laughs> I would like to use the bathroom. As she speaks, two armed guards come marching up the walkway. The access code's been changed. Your card won't work anymore. What? Please. The major puts a firm hand on her elbow and leads her off. The guards stand at attention, then fall in behind them as they pass. What a weird way to find out someone's broken up with you. Right. (laughs) Send a general after it. Adamson holds the car door open. Lori's climbing inside when she sees something which turns her confusion into outright panic. The entrance to the research center has just opened and emerging from it onto the walkway are a half dozen men in full radiation suits. Interior medical lab night. Lori enters with full military escort. The troops hand her off to a team of doctors and technicians. Then drop back to stand guard at the door. A brusque nerd presents her... A brusque nerd. A brusque Word. nurse presents her with a short white gown. Vader is way better. <laughs> Miss Jepesnik, put this on if you would. What? Drink this. The doctor hands Lori a glass full of iridescent green fluid. She stares at it, still somewhat nonplussed. Yeah, fuck drink, yeah. Drink it. Interior medical lab, anteroom, night. Technicians monitor a series of computer screens. On the screens are techni- are shifting multicolored graphics patterns representing the interior of a human body as seen from a variety of angles. A leaded window opens on. Interior, medical lab, night. We're watching what looks like an electronic sarcophagus. A donut-shaped housing traverses its length repeatedly, head to foot, foot to head, sending a three-dimensional readout telemetrically to the anteroom. Through a glass panel in the sarcophagus, we see Lori. He head wedged into a fixed metal brace, (laughs) eyes darting fitfully left and right as she wonders just what the hell is going on. Interior, doctor's office, night. A man's hand slides a photograph across a table. That's Colonel Brent Dobbs, John's military liaison. Lori, still dressed in the white gown, is seated at a table surrounded by government agents in three-piece suits. Chief Agent Schmidt looks at his cronies and replaces the photo with another taken from a thick sheath. 
Dr. Candelaria. He he works on one of John's research teams, the quantum whatever. Schmidt lays a third photo before her. It's a group shot of the Watchmen, the same picture that hung in Blake's closet. Lori hesitates. That's John, obviously. And me, Adrian Veidt, Rorschach. They're real names, please. I don't know their real names. You're lying, Mr. Specknicksnicksk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know their real names. You're not protecting anyone. These people's lives may depend on the answers you give. Holding up the sheaf of photos. These are all former associates of Dr. Manhattan. Then why don't you ask him? Furious, she pushes herself away from the table and moves to a nearby window. The agents exchange cool glances. Like all experienced torturers, they understand the value of patience. I want to get dressed. And I'd like a cigarette. One of the agents pulls a pack from his coat, shaking a cigarette out for Lori. As he's lighting it, a perfect gentleman, the door opens and a lab technician enters with a clipboard. He passes the clipboard to Schmidt, who examines its contents, and tilts an eyebrow. Lori, looking on, is about to burst with curiosity. Someone had better tell me what's going on here. Sit down, Miss Juspesic. As I mentioned, the people in this file are all close associates of Dr. Manhattan. They have something else in common as well. They've all developed a fairly exotic form of lymphatic cancer. What do you say? That John radioactive? All at once, the obvious hits home, and Lori's face goes bone white. Schmidt nudges the clipboard toward her. Trembling, she takes it, then sets it down, staggered by what she's read. I'm terribly sorry. What does this mean? What is it? Six to eight months. That's with treatment. Perhaps now you can see why it's so important, so vital that we locate your friends. That's it. This is all a trick, isn't it? Some kind of horrible joke to make me... She scans the room. No one's laughing. Schmidt gets up, signals to his comrades, and heads for the door. Take a day or two. If you remember any names, do give us a call. The agents leave, and Lori sits alone in the office. She reaches for the clipboard and takes another long, hard look. Then, quaking, she buries her face in her hands. Interior, observation room, that moment. A darkened room just off the office. Lori is visible through a two-way mirror. The door opens, and Major Adamson who's been watching all along, is joined by Schmidt. Hawk. Am I both of them? Uh, I'll be Adamson. Okay. Poor kid. We'll keep her in isolation a while. She'll give us some names. To hell with those costumed idiots. I'm worried about Doc Manhattan. What do you mean? She's his last link to humanity. Once she's gone... God knows which way he'll jump. Dissolve 2. Interior. I hope I don't need to be him again because I'm never going to remember that voice. (laughs) Intel. Interior. Hotel room. Washington, D.C. Day. Dr. Manhattan stands in front of a full-length mirror. He's wearing a navy blue double-breasted suit, a white shirt, and a maroon necktie with an irregular mauve pattern. 
The tie doesn't quite suit him. His brow wrinkles, and the tie is magically and the tie magically transmutes into a more sedate, white red job with diagonal gold stripes. Too stayed. Doctor Manhattan frowns, and the tie transforms itself into a handsome royal blue number with tiny hydrogen atoms for decoration. <laughs> it does nice things for his complexion. Satisfied, he turns from the mirror, starts for the door, and dematerializes. See, the better way to do that would be to have a second Dr. Manhattan looking at him. Like, but doing his tie for him, like, tying it? Right, right. And, yeah, that would be rad. <laughs> like, and instead of a mirror, there's a third one that's just, like, looking him up and down. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. that's yeah. fucking cool. I mean, if you can turn yourself into multiple people, fucking take advantage of it. Especially when you what? know he can see through the eyes of all of them at the same time. So, because wouldn't that be like a like a funny bit, right? Like, it's you know, if he's looking at himself, it's basically looking at it like he's looking at himself in a mirror. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. so he would be able to like project it onto himself. He's like a little left. He would right. move the same. He would like yeah. just like a mirror. Yeah, that'd be fucking cool. That would be a cool bit. But you know, this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> if there's anything well, Watchmen's are, known for, it's the funny bits. Well, not, not even a funny bit; it's a thoughtful bit. Like, yeah. Uh. Uh. Oh yes, interior television studios. Day. Technicians running to and fro. A harried director checks the green room, where the staff is beginning to panic. We're on the air in five minutes. Where the hell's that big blue son of a? He stops wisely in mid-sentence. Dr. Manhattan has just materialized inside the studio, two feet from the director's face. Well, I thought I might have some sort of materialization sound effect, but I cannot. That's the sound when he turns up. <laughs> Roll on snare drum. I'm sorry. Am I late? No problem. We uh, will have to head straight for the set. Oh, oh my. Kent Turner, the director. Oh, I'm Kent Turner. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, oh my. Kent, Kent Turner. Turner. <laughs> oh, oh, my. Kent Turner. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm Kent Turner, the director. The director shakes Dr. Manhattan's hand and marches him down a hallway. Within seconds, they're joined by a government liaison. Dr. Osterman, I've got a list of taboo areas here we'd like you to steer clear of. Obviously, Afghanistan will come up, but if you... Okay, if here's another great cool. way they could fucking take advantage of Dr. Manhattan. Have him go, I'll read it after, and I'll know it now. Just give it to me after the interview, and I'll know now not to say any of that stuff during the interview. Oh, I understand. Just to fuck with the time. That yeah. Because he, he coexists in all time simultaneously. Right. Yeah. This movie's not that smart, man. We've been wising it up as we've been going, but we got to see it what it is. It's true. It's true. But it is part of our job to call it out when it's dropping the ball, right? I believe so. That's what it said on the wall. Yeah. Oh, I should put that on the wall. Yeah. Fix it. It's just big letters. Fix it. Mission statement. Let the screenwriter know when he sucks. 
That's you, Jeff. Oh, the director, oh, yeah. Uh, you played it cool. Or, Doc, that, that blue light of yours tends to wash out on camera. Uh, could you give us something a little darker? Dr. Manhattan pauses briefly. His skin darkens two shades. Will this do? Perfect. Now, Doc, please, on this Afghanistan thing. But the good doctor is already at the edge of the set, surrounded by a cluster of sound men, production assistants, etc., who are hurriedly prepping him for the telecast. The frustrated liaison hangs back and glances up at an overhead monitor. The ABC News special report graphic is already on screen, with theme music underneath. Insert TV... I don't recognize this music. That's weird. Spooky studio We're on Mars already. Yeah, that's Mars music straight up. Insert TV monitor. Stock footage. We open on a shot of terrified Viet Cong racing for their lives through dense jungle. The camera whip pans to the right and takes in an extraordinary sight. A towering 90-foot-tall Dr. Manhattan strides blithely through the jungle, occasionally directing a blast from his fingertips at the greenery below. American Hueys hover behind him, spitting out bursts of automatic fire, performing mop-up duty as this one-man defoliation crew does his apocalyptic thing. A superimposed title reads, Vietnam, 1965. Dr. Manhattan, the nuclear titan, spawned in a freak scientific mishap. For more than 20 years, the Manhattan option has been the linchpin of America's conventional strategy. We cut to See, it wasn't Manhattan Project. Get it? Ah! <laughs> ah! It's the Manhattan option. We cut to Prague, where Russian tanks are rolling through a broad thoroughfare. Dr. Manhattan, only 40 feet tall this time, rounds a corner and emerges from behind a municipal building. His eyes gleam eerily, and the lead tank begins to heat up. Lead tank? I guess the tank is not made of lead, so I'm guessing that is lead. Begins to heat up, the gray gunmetal turning red before our eyes. The hatch springs open, steam hisses, and terrified Russian soldiers clamber out, only to be met with a barrage of rocks thrown by the local citizenry. Title reads... Czechoslovakia, 1968. In trouble spots from Vietnam to Czechoslovakia to Nicaragua, a one-man cavalry coming to the aid of our democratic allies, holding the communist menace in check. Daniel Ortega in Sandinista Drabs? I'm looking that word up. That doesn't look like a word. Yes, do... It's just like shitty clothes. I don't know where Sandinista is, but it's just robes and shit. A member of a left-wing Nicaraguan political organization, the Sandinista National Liberation Front, which came to power in 1979 after overthrowing the dictator Anastasio Somoza, opposed during most of the period by the U.S.-backed Contras, the Sandinistas were voted out of office in 1990. Oh, he's uh, fucking, what's his face? The Cuban dude. Che Guevara. Yeah. Yep. Um, Daniel Ortega in Sandinista Drab sits at a table across from American Secretary of State G. Gordon Liddy. The two men shake hands, hold up signed treaty for the camera. Dr. Manhattan, in a three-piece suit, stands behind them presiding over this historic accord. Title? 
Nicaragua, 1979. In the famous words of General William Westmoreland, yes, Virginia, there is a Superman. And thank God, he's American. Interior soundstage, a moment later, day. A sparse, business-like talk show set. Two chairs, a table, a backdrop of the Washington Monument, and a gallery full of media people. Jaded news vet David Brinkley is manning the host's chair. I'll, you want me to do it? Can you do a, a David Brinkley impersonation? For this live question and answer, is that David Brinkley? Sure. All right. <laughs> Sick, I got a job. <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> For this live question and answer session, we'll be joined by correspondents from all three networks. But since I'm moderating, I'll ask you to keep your questions short and snappy. Now, let's welcome our guest, Jonathan Osterman, better known to the world as Dr. Manhattan. Applause from the crowd. That's a sound effect I should have. Angle widens to include Dr. M, seated at Brinkley's right. He nods in acknowledgement. I suppose the topic on everyone's mind this week is Afghanistan, where Russian tanks appear to be poised for massive invasion. Now, since you've dealt successfully with similar situations in the past, I'll ask you point blank. Has the administration requested that you intervene? I will not intervene in Afghanistan. A hubbub goes up along, among the crowd. Angle on military liaison, looking on from off stage. He rolls his eyes in frustration. Angle on set, Brinkley and Dr. Manhattan. Hands are already shooting up along the newsroom in the audience. Brinkley ignores them. You're saying you would refuse a direct request? There will be no requests. I will not intervene. Well, Doctor, it's widely understood, or rumored, that you can actually see the future. Does your, an- does your answer indicate that the hostilities in Afghanistan will blow over? Angle on military liaison. He's steamed, but like everyone else in the studio... He's hanging on Dr. Manhattan's every word. He turns apprehensively to a colleague in the shadows behind him and snaps his fingers once. I want a phone line at the booth now. Angle on Brinkley and Dr. Manhattan. I see the future only as it relates to me. I have no control over it. I can only repeat that there will be no request. And I will not intervene. He sits there like a big blue Buddha. Brinkley shrugs and presses on. Well, then I hope we can take that as an optimistic sign. I'll open the floor up for questions now. Uh, Doug? Dr. Osterman, I'm Doug Roth of Nova Express. I'd like to read you some names. Colonel Brent Dabbs, Dr. J.M. Calendaria, Wallace M. Weaver. Do these names have any meaning to you? All friends, yes. Associates of mine. Let me go on. Stephanie Boris, William Charles Batts, Susan White. Are you aware that these friends and associates of yours have all been diagnosed with terminal cancer? The crowd noise begins to build. Even Brinkley's taken aback. (gasps) He gapes at Dr. Manhattan, who sits there silently, his inhuman face an unreadable mask. Angle a military liaison. Eyes wide, hand cupped over the in-house telephone. Oh, Jesus. I want this broadcast killed. I'll run out of that goddamn set if I have to. Angle on set. Brinkley, Roth, Dr. Manhattan. 
I have here an official list of 16 names, all similarly diagnosed. Now, for the record, Doctor, is there a connection? By now, the crowd is about to erupt. Roth is shouting to make himself heard over the din. Brinkley, who's just gotten a message from the booth, touches his headset and announces, I'm told it's time for a break. We'll be back after this brief message. Within seconds, the military liaison has rushed out onto the set, flanked by two colleagues in mirror shades. That does it. No more questions. Show's over. The three of them all but yank Dr. Manhattan out of his seat. Then pandemonium breaks loose as eager newsmen bolt the gallery and mob the set. Dr. Manhattan, are these allegations true? (laughs) Did you cause cancer? cancer? (laughs) I don't wish to answer any questions. You see the future. Did you know in advance? (laughs) The doctor will not answer any of your questions. Now step aside. The liaison and his boys form a wedge in front of Dr. Manhattan. But the mass of bodies and microphones is all but impenetrable. How long have you known? Why is the government concealing this information? information? (laughs) Please, get out of my way. The liaison throws an elbow, knocking a reporter to the floor. Scuffling breaks out. Just as it's getting vicious, Dr. Manhattan lets out a thunderous shout. I said, leave me alone. In the wink of an eye, the soundstage is empty. No newsmen, no microphones, no cameras. Nothing but the lone figure of Dr. Manhattan and, still sitting in the chair behind him, Brinkley. Brinkley swallows hard and fidgets with his necktie. A moment later, there's an angry flash of white light and Dr. Manhattan vanishes, leaving Brinkley alone on the deserted set. Fade out. pretty fun i liked it i'm really happy with the latency of the audio like it's fast it's snappy like i don't yeah. feel like we're uh missing anything really yeah it's, it's no. not bad at all really yeah uh, i don't know about you guys but i have killer internet no i, I guarantee you i've peaked a couple times because uh, I'm, I'm used to your studio setup that gives me a lot of room for error and i felt my like chin hit the a couple of times like boop like oh no that's just for you guys you know you i think that we're going above and beyond for people to actually record this during this coronavirus crisis and there's gonna be some growing pains it's there's gonna be some difficulties with you know adjusting to all of this until life gets back to normal if that happens with it so what i'm saying is people have worse things to worry about than your chin hitting the mic don't worry about it do they though well i mean yeah especially if they're over 70 they don't have a job that's my demographic (laughs) (laughs) i mean look jeff our our job here is to make people forget that they don't have a job they're stuck in the house their loved ones are at risk of dying from a horrible disease Uh, the whole government's falling apart and everything's terrible we don't want people to remember that while they're listening to this right you're right we are reading the watchman though (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
You can't. We're like, listen, we need to get somebody a story they're forgetting. And there's one woman that just wants to leave the house, and there's another guy that's giving everybody cancer. <laughs> and Richard Nixon is president. The Manhattan oh, virus. The Manhattan virus. Oh, man. So, um, Josh, you can't see it this time, but your info Wait, is up on the screen it, right now for the, our YouTube somewhere viewers. I'm pointing... Is it? It's, I feel it's, like we're in the up. Brady it's a, Bunch it's right now. It's above you both. Actually, <laughs> Jeff, it's kind of <laughs> right across your eyes. It's like right here is the bottom of it. Joshua well, you can J. find me Baker. at joshuajbaker.com. Uh, I actually started doing some real estate video work in that uh, all the other stuff that I was doing, all the other productions, they were all fucking canceled. So I went and did some real estate work. And if you guys are interested in some real estate video, uh, yeah, holler at me. You can reach me at J-O-S-H, Josh, at JoshuaJBaker.com. Isn't it me at JoshuaJBaker.com? I changed it, homie. I changed it. So so check this out. I changed it because what happens is, is in some people's emails, when I send them from me, it looks like you get the email from me and you're like, I didn't send myself a fucking email. It does say me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to update the graphic on the screen. You should let me know, buddy. I didn't. uh, Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll block it out. It's a white graphic, right? It's got a drop shadow, Jeff, and now Damn it's it. and now it's on our link tree, which is link tree slash table reads. Uh, you can go there to find links to table reads everywhere on the internet that you can possibly find it, or just go to your favorite platform and search for table reads. And while you're there, drop us a review, five stars preferably. Um, let us know what you think. Um, we really want to hear about what your genuine opinion of the show is. And we want other people to know what you think of it, especially if you like it. This comes out right after Batman, right? Yes. Oh my God, please let us know. Try to find something wrong with that Batman script that we read (laughs) of of our portrayal on it. I dare you to find a reason to give it anything less than five fucking stars. Jeff's really proud of that. I'm super. That's our magnum opus. It's so good. I've been with you guys. That shit's a fucking laugh a minute. Yeah, I, I I had more fun on that script than anyone that we've done. In fact, uh, as we record this, part five of Batman has just dropped, and that was my favorite of the whole script. So, like, right now I'm really riding high on, like, this bat insanity. I haven't Hell made yeah. it that far. I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, if you want to find Jeff's work on the internet, you can't. So, once again, my people, suck it. To take it, you can only find me at TableReads.com. TableReadsPodcast.com. That's what I said. That's what he said. All right, guys. Audio cut out. Uh, we'll see you next week for part three of Watchmen. We will still be in Corona lockdown because for us, it will be five minutes from now. For you, it'll be a week. But we, like Dr. Manhattan, traverse all time and space. So... Uh, We'll talk to you then, and until then, we will miss you. This podcast was created by Sean McBee. For more, visit TableReadsPodcast.com. Cut to black.